0: Everybody, everybody doing well? Jim, can I have somebody hit that TV screen on the back wall there? That's how you guys think I really know all these scriptures by heart, but it's really a TV screen behind you. So he's going to turn that on for me. But no, I appreciate that. But as we, uh, before we get into today's lesson, we want to make sure that we're praying for everybody. Uh, I know there's a lot of people in the congregation who are sick right now, right? It's that time of year, right? It's, not, it's nothing to be surprised about. You know, COVID's going to come around every fall and in the flu season. And it's just one of those things that we have to deal with this time of year. So let's just be smart, right? If you're sick, you can stay home. And uh, that's why they have online services for us so we're not spreading the germs. And uh, luckily, Jim's feeling much better, but he wanted to give it a few extra days just to make sure. And uh, so he'll probably be here on Wednesday, I'm assuming. And uh, so, luckily, nobody else in the house has caught it, and we're just hoping it remains that way. And uh, but as we get into, before we get into today's lesson, uh, each week I've been kind of letting you know where, where we have been at with the junior high and the high class. And I gave you guys the handout last week, and I asked you to read it with your kids. Uh, this week we were talking about where did Cain get his wife? Isn't that is that a question anybody ever heard? Where did Cain get his wife? You know, for all the descendants of Avenue, where did he get his wife? And so we looked at that that here this morning. We looked at uh, where where do we get all the races of people, right? If if we're all descended from the blood of one man, uh, uh, Acts 17 and 26, where do do we get all the races of one people? But something that the kids learned this morning is that there's one race, there's a human race. You know the race, it's a man-made word, right? And there's different people groups. And so we looked at that here this morning and how that comes about. And we also are going to continue to look at uh, evidence for the flood that we started to look at here this morning. So they're starting to learn about that, the the scientific evidence. Because true science confirms the Bible. True science and the Bible are not in contradiction to one another. They confirm one another. You just got to know how to actually look at the Bible, read it for what it says, and then compare it to what we see in observational science. And that way you'll be able to come about to, to the truth. But today we're going to continue our lessons on uh, the divided kingdom as we've been looking at various prophets. Today Ezekiel is up on the board. And Ezekiel is up today and, you know, there's so much stuff, stuff that we could talk about when it comes to Ezekiel. But we're going to kind of park in about Ezekiel chapter 18 here this morning. You know, when you think about Ezekiel chapter 18 and who here was raised with siblings? Anybody have siblings, Right. Many of us there's a lot of hands going up, not not all of us our hands are going up, even though a couple I think should have been. But you know you know, that's okay. But we think about siblings, right? What is something that most of us have uttered as you're growing up? You know, you're, you're a little nugget, you know, and, and you're still maturing and you're still growing. And you're kind of half-baked at the time. And then, you know, you're, you feel like your your siblings are influencing you. They're kind of poking the bear. They're kind of, They're kind of nagging you a little bit. And then you do something you know you probably shouldn't have done. What's the first words that usually come out of the mouth? My brother made me do it. My sister made me do it. Right? How often did that excuse really work for you? Were your parents like, yeah, I, I bet they did. You're not punished, I'm going to punish them. No, we always see that when my brother made me do it, my sister made me do it, you're going to see that Ezekiel chapter 18, the, the children of Israel were trying to say something similar. And as we get into Ezekiel, we know he, his call to be a prophet came during the second siege of Jerusalem. It came of the second siege of Jerusalem, we learned that God had allowed the Babylonians to do what? To capture the people of Judah. Why? Because of their widespread wickedness. But this is the second siege. The first siege on Jerusalem happened probably eight or nine years prior to this. And we know that uh, maybe next week we might get into Daniel. And we're going to see how Daniel, he's already been, uh, he's already there in, uh, in, in Babylon. Uh, nine years before Ezekiel ever shows up on the scene. But we see that God's going to send Ezekiel. He happens to be in the second siege. And we also learn in Ezekiel chapter 5, brethren, that the Jews had become more sinful than even the Gentile nations that they surround that surrounded them. I mean, I want you to think about that for a second. It literally says in Ezekiel in chapter 5 that the Jews have become more rebellious, more sinful than the pagan nations that surround them. And I want you to keep in mind what you see on the screen behind you. Because it says right there: don't blame me, it's not my fault. And so you're gonna see what really what is the underlying message. That the, that the Jews are trying to portray to Ezekiel and to God as we go through this lesson here today. Brethren, we're going to learn that a person, in order for a person to turn back to God, that sometimes, sometimes it, it, it takes them feeling that all is lost. Why do you think God allowed uh, these various individuals to be taken into captivity. The northern kingdom, right, about, what, 100 and some years prior to this, 130 years or so prior to this, they were taken in captivity by the Assyrians. Why do you think God allowed that? He was hoping that there would have been repentance on a grand scale, but because of the widespread wickedness of the northern kingdom, they kind of faded from existence, right? They never came back into power as, as, what, they, as what they were as the northern kingdom. But now we get to the southern kingdom, but we also know that in the southern kingdom, that if there's repentance, that there's also a prophecy, that after 70 years of captivity, that God would bring his people back. Why? Because the seed line still needs to come through, and that God is going to work through the southern kingdom of Judah to bring about the seed line of Christ. And so sometimes for a a person to rid themselves of their demons... To rid themselves of their uh, of all that baggage, they must be cleansed emotionally and spiritually. And sometimes for a person to be cleansed emotionally and spiritually, you gotta hit rock bottom. And you gotta hit rock bottom by saying, I've just lost everything, my home, you know, and, and my possessions and everything, and now I've been taken captive by a foreign people. How often does it really work out well for those people? But you see that it's a little bit different in the Babylonian captivity than it was in the Assyrian captivity. Because in Babylon, they were more as colonists than they were as slaves. And so there's a huge difference between the two. And so brethren, in the early years of Ezekiel's prophecy, God's people, they refused to take responsibility for their actions. And just like the people in our own country today, don't we like to play the blame game? Usually, you know, I remember back, you know, for 17 years when I was in 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 a secular workforce something goes wrong what's the first thing many co-workers like to do figure out whose fault it is where can i point the finger who can i put the blame on that's usually the first thing that happens right instead of saying hey what can we do to fix the problem let's spend all this time and energy figuring out whose fault it is and so brethren you could see similar ideas as we go through ezekiel chapter 18 but we're going to see brethren that god is going to call them to the carpet and that's the lesson that we're going to look at here today. We're going to look to see if we can answer the question, whose fault is it? I'm not to blame. It's not my fault. They made me do it. Or it's my father's fault. It's, my, it's the previous generation's fault. Surely it's not my fault. And so, brethren, the Jews thought that God, he was treating them unfairly. He thought, They thought they were, that God was punishing them for their father's sins meaning their past generations the people who came before them surely they weren't uh, God's not punishing us for our own because we're faithful Jews but brethren it is their sin it is their sin that we learn about over and over in the letter of Ezekiel that made them su- subject to God's judgment in previous generations and even still today in America in the 21st century people continue to do what they make excuses Excuses for the choices that they make. You see it all. You see it in our children, and you see it in the workplace. You see it that that carries over into well many phases of life. And and so, as we look at this lesson here this morning, brethren, it's always been popular to blame somebody else. But oftentimes, the people that we want to blame, they're not there to defend themselves. How many times have somebody said, "Well, it's, it's my parents' fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's the teacher's fault. It's the society's fault." It's my co-workers' fault. Everybody's fault but my fault. Right? And so there's no blame to be put on me. So brethren, this is not the first generation in Ezekiel's time, as well as our time. It's not the first generation to excuse their rotten behavior and the physical suffering that it often produces as they blame previous generations. They often echo the the, the pitiful cry that is simply not my fault. Brethren, notice what the Lord has to say to the Jews as we go through this lesson here this morning. Because Ezekiel's day, they had a similar complaint. Then the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel saying, what do you mean by using this proverb in Israel? No longer shall you use this horrible proverb in Israel, the Lord says. The fathers eat the sour grapes, but it's the children's teeth that are set on edge. Have you guys ever really looked at that proverb? Have you ever really looked at that passage in Ezekiel? Because really, all that they're trying to do is deflect responsibility. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 3 on the screen behind me, it says, "As I live, declares the Lord, uh, the Lord your God, you are surely not going to use that proverb in Israel anymore, because that proverb had become popular because it removed accountability. It removed accountability from them as children of their fathers." They think that all of, the, all of the pain and all of the suffering that's coming upon us is because of previous generation sins. We're obviously good and righteous individuals. Brethren, have you ever noticed that it's easier always to blame somebody else for your problems than it is to take ownership of said problems? I mean, we see that in all aspects of society today. It's not that easy. It's not that those generations were faultless. It's not not that they didn't have blame. But brethren, their shortcomings and transgressions are not the reason you're suffering necessarily today. And we're going to see that because as you study out the letter of Ezekiel, as you go through the first 24 chapters, we're going to see that the current generation of Jews... The ones that are being taken captive during this time, during the second siege, continue to what? They perpetuated the sins of the previous generation and even built upon them. They've become more wicked than the previous generations. And so even though they had drawn this clever picture, this picture of fathers eating grapes that set my teeth on edge, all of a sudden they're trying to uh, pass the blame on somebody else. It's as if to say we are only innocent victims and not to blame for the suffering that's coming upon the people of Judah at this time. Brothers and sisters, but the Lord makes it clear that they will be punished because of their own sin. When you go through the first 24 chapters of Ezekiel, you're going to see that God's judgment was coming on them, not because of their father's sins, but because of their own sins. In those first 24 chapters that I spoke of, the word rebellious is used over 20 times. And that word rebellious is used about the current generation of Jews. It wasn't about the previous generation, even though they were rebellious. Even though there were some good kings in Judah, and there were some bad kings in Judah, there were some good Jews in Judah, and there were bad uh, Jews in Judah. But overall, even though even when the good kings came on the scene, and there was a repentance, we know that because of widespread idolatry and immorality and all of the things that were taking place, that it, behead, it had overtaken their hearts. It had overtaken their minds. And that their thoughts was really thoughts of wickedness all day long. And so brothers and sisters, because they were blaming their, uh, their problems on other individuals, they didn't see the need for making corrections. Because they thought they never had something to correct in the first place. I'm here to tell you this morning that repentance cannot come to someone who thinks they have nothing to repent of. Why do you think we're supposed to prick the hearts of individuals as we preach the Scriptures? You know, modern day preachers have kind of lost the idea that we are to to preach the truth even if it steps on some toes. Even if it touches the heart of the individual. Because if I don't prick your heart and realize that maybe you have sin in your life, then you have nothing to repent of. Because if I just simply tell you messages of how great you are and how awesome you are and how lovely you are, you're not going to think that. You have anything to repent of? You're going to think that man, God must be happy to have somebody like me on His team. But you see, brethren, in the 18th chapter in the message of Ezekiel, these Jews they needed to wake up. They needed to accept responsibility for their lives so that they wait, so that way they could repent and live. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4. It says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul are mine. All the souls who sin will die. Did you guys catch that? Ezekiel points out that every soul is, is directly responsible to Almighty God. In Ezekiel chapter 18, it shows the contradiction to that popular doctrine that's often called total inherited depravity. Total inherited depravity. Each soul will die not because of the sins of Adam... But each soul, will, or, or, or and each soul will live based on his or her own righteousness. We don't die because of the. Uh, we don't. Well, let me take that back. Each soul will uh, die because of their own sin, but not because of the sins of Adam. And when I say that, there's a, you have to understand the difference between physical death and spiritual death. Because when when Adam and Eve sinned, what did it bring into the world? It brought into the world physical consequences. And we're going to look at consequences in a few minutes, but we need to understand that, brethren, we deal with consequence because of sin, but we don't actually inherit the sin, right? We don't inherit the spiritual guilt of the sin. We just have to deal with the physical consequences of the sin. So you guys remember, all you ladies, anybody here have a baby? I know Jenny just walked out. She could have attested to this. You're going to give birth in what? Pain and labor, right? And so every woman that's coming after Eve had to do what? Give birth with uh, in pain and suffering. You think about the, the men. What what was the curse placed on Adam? The ground is going to be cursed because of you. You're going to have to uh, to, to work uh, with the bread of your sw- uh, the bread of your uh, the bread of your brow. You're going to have to. The, the ground is going to produce thorns and thistles, and that all of creation has been affected by the sin that has now entered into the world. And so we experience physical death. But we have to understand that's just a physical consequence. But we're spiritually, we're all beholden to God based on our own lives, our own choices, our own faith, our own sins. You see, brethren, we as we go along and we look at this information here today, God tells us in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 9, If a person walks in my statues and my, and my ordinances and they deal faithfully, he is righteous and he will surely live. There's the physical consequence of death, but there's the spiritual consequence of life. You guys remember a, a while back when I talked about, yes, we live in a democracy. We're beholden to a democracy, but we're spiritually beholden to a monarchy. And when you understand that concept, you understand how easy it is to understand the difference between physical consequence and the spiritual consequence. Brethren, God declares that we are all individually responsible for our own conduct. My Father's righteousness is not going to save me, but neither will His wickedness condemn me. And that's something that we need to fully understand. For you and I are responsible to God, and we must work out our own fear and trembling, just as we learn from the, uh, the Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the people of Philippi in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because your salvation is solely dependent upon you and the choices that you make. Brothers and sisters, another point that I want us to look at here this morning as we move on from uh, from this is that consequences to sin. You know, brethren, I don't care uh, who you are. Sin has consequences that directly affect others or indirectly affect others. I mean, you think about the, the sin of addiction, right? Anybody here have a family member or friend or somebody close to them that's involved in some form of addiction, right? Does addiction only affect the individual? Or or does does that sin have have far-reaching effects, right? Doesn't it affect their co-workers? Doesn't it affect their family members, their children, their spouses, their their parents, right? Doesn't it affect friends? Doesn't it even affect total strangers? What happens when I get in my car and I drive impaired and I get in a bad accident, but I'm okay, but I kill somebody else? Did Did the consequence of my sin just affect somebody else? You see, brethren, sin always, either directly or indirectly, affects other individuals. I want you to think about something that's widespread in our nation right now. Sexual immorality. You think about premarital sex, right? You think about uh, being sexually active and how prominent it is in American society today. You think about all uh, all of the unwanted pregnancies. A vast majority of all abortions are because of people who are sexually active outside of marriage covenants and then decide, I don't want this because it's inconvenient right now, and they decide to dispose of the baby. They abort the baby. You don't think that affects that other individual? You see, brethren, even being sexually active affects those babies because of the unwanted pregnancies, which leads to abortion, but also many a times it leads to STDs. It also could lead to emotional strain because we're starting to see children younger and younger that are uh, engaging in sexual activity, but they're not mentally uh, ready for the, for the ramifications that it brings upon them and because of the they're not emotionally ready, we're seeing more and more boys and girls commit suicide because of the mental weight of this strain that they're not ready for. You see, brother, there are so many examples that could be given. But the bottom line is that, that sin has consequences. And those consequences are far-reaching. And almost every sin affects not just the individual, but affects those around them. So remember, it's not just a personal problem, brethren. It's, a, it's, it's really a community problem when we think about sin. You think about the sin, uh, uh, the sense of time of Adam. Mankind has had to deal with the consequences of sin. I briefly mentioned it a moment ago. Pain in childbirth. Cursed is the ground. In toil you will eat from it. Physical death awaits. Those are all physical consequences because of the sin of Adam and Eve. But never forget, while physical consequences are a part of life, you are only, only spiritually accountable to God for yourselves. Heaven or hell? It's up to you. It really is. You get to decide if you're going to attain heaven, you get to decide if you're going to attain hell. Why? Because you're only spiritually beholden to God for your choices and for the decisions you make. You can live a rebellious, ungodly life or you can live a life that is faithful unto God and that is righteous. What does God tell us? Doesn't God expect us? Doesn't God expect us expect us to be holy? Why? He says be holy for I am holy. And that as His children, as His creation, we need to make sure that we are, we are reflecting the image that we're made of, that we're made in. Brothers and sisters, another lesson that we can learn as we go through these prophetic letters is that God's people in, in Ezekiel's day, God's people throughout all of the prophets' days, all of the messengers of God, all the way fast-forwarding to the 21st century here in America, God's people remain willfully And blatantly ignorant of God's standard. They remain willfully and blatantly ignorant. They set aside the commands of the Lord while complaining that God's treatment of them is not fair. That God created me this way. And so I have to do this because God created me this way. No. God did not create you that way. And I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about here in a moment. It's very popular today in the 21st century Christendom to suggest that complete obedience to God is not as important as being culturally relevant. Complete obedience to God is not as important as being culturally relative or uh, uh, relevant. Brethren, many in society will stop and they'll start to talk about how the backdrop of the writing of the Bible is so vastly different That the scriptures really are outdated when you compare the scriptures to our current culture. Certain false Christian teachers are starting to teach individuals that God's teachings are outdated. And that we need to make some changes in order to to line up with the the current thought processes, the current ideologies that we find in society today. And yet in Luke chapter 21 and verse 33, Jesus says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. We know that there's a dozen passages of scripture in the Bible that talk about not adding to or changing God's word. Do not add to, do not subtract, or God will rebuke you. He will reprove you. And we know, brethren, that the scriptures are crystal clear. With every generation, there's going to be cultural and societal trends that are always going to be changing. But God's expectation of righteous living for all who call upon his name is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. And if you wish to desire heaven, if you want heaven to be your eternal home, then you have to buy in to that concept. God doesn't care what you want, what you think, what you feel. And he doesn't care what the popular ideology of of, of man's thinking is in each current day in their current culture, and society. Why? Because there are ways that seem right unto men, and in the end they lead to death. You see, brethren, our nation, and even a good amount of so-called Christian churches today, have thrown away that the scriptures are the right way. And you see, brethren, one example that we could look at in scripture, that society and many churches in dumb, and I'm using the universal sense, are starting to teach things about homosexuality and transgenderism that are abhorrent to God. The scriptures say that transgenderism and homosexuality is not natural. God calls it an abomination. But the Bible, but the politically correct say that no, it's fine. Homosexuality is a fine. It's just an alternative lifestyle. It's love that matters. Brothers and sisters, people do not want to accept what the Bible teaches, saying that the Bible is outdated and it's not fair. Just like the people echoed in the days of Ezekiel when they said the way of the Lord is not right. Can you imagine that? When God's people were taken into the second siege... Uh, taken into captivity, they're saying, we're only being punished because the Lord's ways are not right. For he is unfair to us. And so they came up with that proverb that God says you should no longer use in your cities and in your towns and in Judah no more. That the parents eat the sour grapes, but it's the, children's, it's the children who are affected by it. And brethren, the, they say the way of the Lord is not right to which the, the Lord declares Is my way not right? Is it not your way that is wrong? Brothers and sisters, we all need to remember that God is love. God is grace. He is righteousness. He is mercy. And thus he expects his creation to conduct itself in a similar manner. For God says, be holy, for I am holy. And never forget how God demonstrated his love to all of his creation. Not just those who accept him. Didn't Jesus go to the cross and die? For all mankind? Didn't Jesus take the sin of all of creation uh, upon himself as he was nailed to the cross? Why? Because God loves you. And he has given a way, he has created a way for us to come back in fellowship with the Father. So brothers and sisters, we should rejoice with that. Finally, as I get ready to close this down, there's one last thing I want to look at, and that's God's authority. It, the Bible tells us that God is creator, and he is the giver of life. And thus he has the, the right to, to dictate authority, to dictate what's right and wrong. We learn about this in, uh, in, in Acts chapter 17, 24 through 28, where it talks about uh, God created and formed uh, from uh, all nations from the blood of one man. We know that uh, God created them in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 24 through 26 created them male and female, and that they are supposed to leave their fathers and mothers, cleave to their wives. Why? And that they are supposed to do what? Be obedient unto God. In all three dispensations, patriarchal, mosaic, and Christian, there has always been law. And God has been trying to get his people to repent since they left the garden. And yet we see that how so many individuals, they're not really... They're not, they don't like authority. Do you, do you guys think we have an authority problem in our society today? Do we have an authority problem in school? Do we have an authority problem with local uh, governments and and, and, and and police where individuals just aren't willing to submit anymore? Brethren, God has the right to command what's expected from his creation. But you know as well as I do that many people in society strongly oppose authority. They despise the idea of anyone telling them what they can and cannot do. And for some individuals, they carry that mindset, that entitled, arrogant mindset into the realm of what? Religion and Christianity. They make no secret that they don't, they don't want God trying to run their lives. And they surely don't want some self-righteous uh, religious fanatics telling them that they need to repent. You see, brother, throughout time, mankind has always ignored God's command to repent. Which of the prophets did they not kill? Isn't that what we learn in in, in the scriptures? And so, brethren, we know that even Jesus, the master teacher, the Christ, the son of the living God, he was unable to convert the masses. Why? Because they rebelled against him. They rebelled against his authority. You see, brothers and sisters, before I close this down, the bottom line is is that God has all authority in heaven and on earth. You may not like it, you may not agree with it, but it doesn't make it untrue. The fact of the matter is is that God commands all people everywhere to repent. We learn about that in Acts 17, verse 30 and 31. that, That simple command in Acts 17 and verse 30, it not only shows God's authority to issue commands, but it also shows that his authority is universal. God declares all people everywhere to repent. Does that leave anybody out? You see, brethren, he has rule over all peoples, all nations, all tribes, and in all locations. There is nowhere that you could go on this planet to escape God's authority or his judgment. God's commands for all men everywhere to repent also show God's universal knowledge. Well how is that? Because he knows what is going on in all places. Otherwise, how could he know that you need to repent? For he sees the need of all people and the need is to repent. This last passage that I'll show you here this morning in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, it tells us that and there is no creature, there's no creature hidden from God's sight. "...but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account, to him who we must stand before in judgments." For God's command is for all people everywhere. And it shows that God cares for his people. God could have just let us just kind of march our way right to hell. But God doesn't desire for any of us to perish. That was the scripture reading that Dagwood read this morning. He doesn't desire for us to perish, but all for, for all of us to come to repentance and to live. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, even Peter said that the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish But that all should come to repentance. And so brethren, finally, God has given his creation every chance. He has given us every chance to to achieve salvation. And we have nobody to blame if we end up in hell other than ourselves. For you see, family, it is time that we as God's people, we go out into the communities, we go out into our families, and we talk to our friends and our family members and our co-workers about the love and the grace and the repentance and faith that we are to have in Christ Jesus and to all who are created in his image. We need to take the message of love and grace out to all who will hear it. But make no mistake about it, brethren, you are going to get resistance. You are going to get resistance because most of society, as it has always been in the world, are going to oppose authority. They don't want God telling them what they can and cannot do. And that's fine. Because that's a choice that they make, and that is the beauty of free will that God gives His creation. You see, brethren, God doesn't want to force you to love Him; He wants you to choose to love Him. So, brothers and sisters, what choice have you made? Do the choices of your life uh, do the choices of your life show to others that you're a child of God? Do how you live and how you speak and how you forgive and the compassion and the mercy that you show. Does it show that you're a child of God and that you're a mirror image of your Lord and Savior? You see, brethren, in, in order to really get people to, uh, to hear the passages of Scripture, to hear the gospel message, they first really need to understand how much you love them and how much you care for them. Isn't that why Jesus went out healing In raising the dead, and doing all types of things, yes, they were miracles to confirm the message, but he also did it to show how much God loves them, and how much that he doesn't desire for them to be in suffering, but he desires for them to be in repentance, to come back to him, and he will be like a loving father that has the robe ready, the ring ready, the sandals ready, and the fatted calf will be ready as you come home, and as he gives a celebration, and there will be more joy in heaven, Uh, over those who have repented than over the one sinner, uh, or or than over the 99 who need no uh, uh, repentance. Brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you're hearing this message and you wish to become a child of God, you can do that today. God will add you to the church if you choose to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can go down into the baptistry. You can have your sins washed away. You can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you believe, and that is your desire today, come forward as Brother Louis sings the Song of Invitation.